Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and fill this, flood, flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome with your presence, Lord. You're singing that song and you're praying, God, fill us with your presence. Fill this place. God, it, it, we don't care about the people. If, if you're here, that's all that matters. And if you're here, people will be here as well. For others, you sing that song and you think, I have trouble singing that song. Who are we to tell the Holy Spirit, you're welcome here? The Holy Spirit's God. Who are we to tell the Holy Spirit? And, and, the, and the Holy Spirit's been promised to us. And Jesus said, if two or three people gather in my name, he's going to be there. We know the Holy Spirit's going to be there. Why are we singing that? For some of you, that's, that's like, how's this fit? And then there's some other people that are saying, What's a Holy Spirit? But, you know, when I hear the words Holy Spirit, I'm thinking, does that mean people are going to be running up and down the aisles and doing crazy stuff and the snakes are going to be here soon, right? Uh, uh, if you're in any one of those three camps, in any one of those three areas, you're in the right place today. Because today we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, at North Point, the Bible matters to us. We're in this series called What Matters, and we're talking about things that matter to us. The Bible matters to us because it's the way that we know how we can have a relationship with God, right? God matters to us because God is this incredible combination of mercy and justice and compassion and tenderness and power and um, eternal, you know, the, this eternal peace. God's all of that wrapped together. He's the Lord of the universe. God matters to us. Jesus matters to us as well. He is God uh, that put skin on. He came to the earth and he lived as a, as a person. He experienced temptation like we did. Ultimately, he willingly gave himself to be executed as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Last week, we shared together in communion in, in uh, what we call the Lord's Supper so that we could remember symbolically the price of our salvation, what Jesus did for us. Today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit matters too. Uh, I grew up attending small conservative churches with my family uh, all, all my life. Um, the churches that we went to were, were proud to be independent um, churches that, that, that believe the Bible. We said, we're not one of those liturgical churches. We're not one of those denominational churches, um, even though the group of churches that we were part of was really kind of a denomination, and we had our own liturgy. I, you know, we had, we had this routine that, that, that we experienced. When I was growing up, I knew every Sunday a guy was going to get up. We were going to sing three songs. They were gonna, we were going to sing the first. We were going to sing out of the hymnal with the piano, right? Um, we were going to sing the first, second, and fourth verses of each of those songs. Then we were going to sing a communion hymn, and uh, when we sang the communion hymn, on the last verse we were going to stand up. The, the, uh, the men were going to come down to serve. Somebody was going to do a meditation and a prayer for communion. would share in the Lord's Supper every week. Then we'd have a meditation and a prayer for the offering, and would take up the offering. And, uh, and then the preacher would get up to preach, and he'd, he, he always preached, you know, most all the time, uh, a three-point sermon. There were always three points. 
There were, there were usually jokes in the, in the message that then when I'd read Reader's Digest later, uh, that I, there was this remarkable connection to the jokes that the preacher told in Reader's Digest. Don't know what that was about. Um, the, the messages would have, you know, a poem, some illustrations, and, and I don't say anything bad about that experience. When I was growing up in those churches, I learned to love God. I learned to love his word. I learned to apply scripture to my life. And I learned what it looked like to step out in faith. Those were important years for me. But when I was probably 12 or 13 years old, the elders, the leaders in our church, um, began to do a study um, about the Holy Spirit. And, and some things changed about that time. That As they studied, they said, you know what, we we." think that there's something that we've been missing. Um, uh, we, they, they talked at that point about the Holy Ghost because what we used was the King James Version of the Bible and it didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, it talked about the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and so they said, we, we, need to, we need to figure out what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is all about. The Holy Spirit began to work in our church and began to change our church. Faith was no longer just this kind of academic routine uh, that we experienced on Sunday morning. It was something that was experienced, that impacted our hearts and emotions. As we learned more about the Holy Spirit, our worship began to change. We began to sing songs that, that expressed in, in, a, in a more con, uh, current way the emotions and what was going on inside us. I remember so clearly um, as, a, as a kid in that church singing, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Um, melt me, mold me, move me, change me. Um, and, and God answered those prayers. Um, faith be- began to move for many in the church from something that just happened in a Sunday morning experience to, to, to a seven-day-a-week thing where we were seeing and experiencing God every day, all the time, in every aspect of our lives. It was during those years that I made the decision that I was going to go to Bible college because I wanted to have a a foundation based on God's word for the rest of my life. I knew that I was going to be a follower of Jesus. I had already committed my life to him. But I wanted to have this understanding of how to study scripture and, and, um, and, and how, to, how to build my life on faith that I felt like I could get at, at a Bible college. So I went, to a, I went to a college where ultimately I met Deb. And the college that I attended had a slogan. The slogan was an interesting slogan. It was scholarship in an atmosphere of faith scholarship in an atmosphere of faith. Um, uh, the college experience was designed to teach us all kinds of things about God. And so I learned about, about how to study scripture, how, how when you read difficult passages, you make sense of that. that. That study, that class was called hermeneutics, invaluable stuff. It's the, the tools that I learned in those classes I still use today. Um, we learned about how to defend the reliability of Scripture, how we can trust that the Scripture is God's Word. Uh, that was called apologetics. And that was, that was so valuable to me. I, you hear it in my preaching when I talk about our ability to trust that God's Word is true and real. Um, we, we studied church history, and, and, and so we learned about how God had worked from the time of Jesus on up through uh, that, that period in time. So, such important stuff. 
Um, and, and we studied scripture. In, the, in that context, I had 60 credit hours in college on books of the Bible, on scripture. Incredibly good stuff. Scholarship in an atmosphere of faith. But in that context, something happened with many of the students that, that, that I was there with. We learned about God, but we didn't necessarily learn who God was and how to have a relationship with him. We learned about Jesus, but we didn't necessarily know him. We learned a little bit about the Holy Spirit, but, but really not much because it was tough to fit the Holy Spirit into the academic context. How do you have curriculum about the Holy Spirit? How do you have tests about the Holy Spirit? Because the real question about the Holy Spirit is not if you know about him, it's about whether or not you have given him the keys to your heart, the keys to your life. If you've allowed him to come in and have um, access to every part of your life because he wants to live inside us. My, my guess is the same thing is true for many of us here at North Point. Faith is an intellectual thing for us. It's rational it makes sense. We look around at the world and we say, yeah, clearly, I, I don't have any trouble at all believing in God. How can, how can you look at the snow, look at the design that's in a snowflake, and say there's not a God? How, how can you look and see what's going on around us and say there's not a God, there's not good and evil? God, God's there. We see evidence for God and so we believe. We read the Bible and we believe that it's reliable, that it helps us understand the nature of God. But God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could make sense of who God was on a daily basis. That the Holy Spirit is who God has given us, and he matters in our life. That's why the Holy Spirit is one of our big rocks, because God said that having a relationship with him is more than just about having a Christian worldview. It's more than just about having a systematic belief system. We need the Spirit in us on a daily basis. So we're going to jump in and talk about the Holy Spirit today. Um, Let's just start at the beginning. Did you know that the Holy Spirit existed before time did? That the Holy Spirit was here before creation started? Did you know that? Think, Think for a second and think, okay, first verse of the Bible says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, there was God. John 1.1 1, 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So in the beginning, you've got God, and you've got Jesus. Look at what Genesis 1.2 says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. The Spirit... In the beginning, the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Spirit was hovering. That's that concept of the Trinity that we talk about. Um, As you read down through Genesis 1, and you get down to verse 26, uh, God creates stuff on different days. You get to the sixth day, and, and God says something really interesting. In Genesis 1, 26, God says, Let us make man... In our own image, in our likeness. 
so that he can rule over the fish and the, the birds and the livestock and the animals, all, all that stuff. God didn't say, I'm going to make this. He said, let us. Who was he talking about? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's that Trinity concept. The concept of the Trinity is tough, right? How, how, can, how can one being be three different things at the same time and yet be one? Isn't God separate from Jesus, separate from the Holy Spirit? But are they all supposed to be one? The answer to that is yes. You know, how, do you, how do you explain that? I don't know. You know, sometimes I, I can talk through it and it makes perfect sense. And sometimes when I talk through it with somebody and we're talking about it, the words are coming out of my mouth and I'm thinking, this makes no sense at all. Because there are three separate entities who are one. The, maybe the best illustration I can give is water. All right? If you think about water right now, um, there's water that you can pour into a glass and drink, right? That's the liquid form of water. Um, there's also water in a gaseous state, water that's suspended in air, right? When you heat a tea kettle and you see the steam coming out, that's water that creates that steam. When you have a cup of coffee and the steam goes, that's water in a gaseous state, water that's dispersed through the air. And when, when you fill up a glass with ice, you've got water in a solid state. It's the exact same thing in three different forms. That's the picture of who God is. God is one. He is one being. But he's chosen to express himself in three separate ways, in three separate contexts and settings. There's, there's God, the creator, the Lord of the universe, God Almighty, El Shaddai, there's God. There's Jesus, who is God who put skin on, who came to earth, who was born as a baby, who was crucified for us, who came back to life. That's God in the flesh that ascended and sits at God's right hand in heaven. And there's God's spirit who was promised to the followers of Jesus. Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The, tr- the word Trinity is never used in Scripture. It's not there. If you, if you use a, a Bible resource and, and, and say, find me Trinity, you'll never find a verse that it talks about. But Jesus affirmed that concept of Trinity. Uh, when he was ready to ascend into heaven, um, he gave instructions to his disciples in Matthew 28. He said this. This is one of the last things that he said to the disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus affirmed that relationship of the the three um, forms, the three expressions of God in our world. This is one thing that's just critical for us to get a hold of as a church in in talking about the Holy Spirit and Him mattering to us. The Holy Spirit, understand this, the Holy Spirit is an integral part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not the kid brother of Jesus, you know, who's just kind of along for the ride, tugging on his coattails. The Holy Spirit is an integral part of the Godhead. He's the spirit presence of God here on earth. In the Old Testament, the the Holy Spirit um, isn't there consistently. He's only there on special occasions. It's kind of interesting. When you read through the Old Testament, you won't find the sense that the Holy Spirit's there all the time. He's there in creation. We talked about that. We don't see the Holy Spirit named in the Old Testament again until Balaam 
Um, Balaam prophesies. It says the Holy Spirit comes on him, and Balaam prophesies. Um, The judges, Gideon and and Samson, it describes as the Holy Spirit coming in and filling them supernaturally as Gideon goes to battle, as Samson, in in his last act of life, pushes down the, the pillars. The Holy Spirit comes on him in that way. You go a little bit further and um, King Saul, King David, the Holy Spirit comes and, and uh, comes inside them, Scripture says. And then some of the prophets talk about that they're filled with the Holy Spirit as they prophesy and as they talk about the future, about what God's going to do in the future, they, they prophesy that the Holy Spirit is going to come to all mankind to be, to be available to them. But in the Old Testament, he's only there on special occasions. Um, in the New Testament, though, the Holy Spirit is promised to be a companion to the disciples of Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's this concept that the Holy Spirit's going to come in and he's going to be with them nonstop all the time. That's what we see in the New Testament. That promise of the Holy Spirit was given not just through the prophets of the Old Testament. It was given directly by Jesus um, we're going we're gonna to look at a, a big segment of Scripture. I just want to highlight some in, math, in uh, John chapter 15, 16, and, uh, or 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is, um, is, is uh, within 24 hours of his arrest, and he's teaching, and he says this, John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate, a comforter, a helper, to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him or n- nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. Verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the F- Father will send in my name, the advocate, the comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything that I've said to you. John 15, Jesus says, When the Advocate, the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit will testify about me. John 16, Very truly I tell you, Jesus said, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come to you. If I go, I'll send him to you, though. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus, before his crucifixion, said, I'm going to send this this being, this presence, the Holy Spirit for you, to come alongside you, to to comfort you, to, to be your advocate, to work with you, to be there for you. That's all before Jesus goes to the cross. After Jesus dies, after he has resurrected, he's, he's talking to the disciples again in Acts chapter 1. And in verse 4, uh, it d- describes this. Jesus is eating with them, uh, and he gives them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be immersed with the Holy Spirit. That word immersed in the, in the Greek, in the original language, is an interesting word. It, what it describes is a person um, being completely surrounded by water, being fully enveloped, 
Um, you know, when, when, when you're in a pool and you go completely underneath, that's the picture that's there. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to envelop you. You're going to be baptized, surrounded by the Holy Spirit. Verse, verse 6, they gathered around him and said, uh, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And as a result of that power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to surround you. And as a result of that, he's going to be living in you. And you're going to have this power that's incredible to be my witnesses all over the, all over the earth. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come to his disciples. And that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 starts out and it talks about uh, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, the, the holiday that the Jews celebrated at Pentecost. Jews came from all over the world to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. And um, when Jews would come to celebrate Passover, they would stay for Pentecost. So there's uh, some, some historians say as many as 100,000 Jews from around the world in Jerusalem for, for Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2 starts this way. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. All the disciples were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were setting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can you picture this in your mind? They're there in this room, and all of a sudden there's this sound like this crazy wind, like tornado, comes in, fills the room. And when that sound happens and, and that, that noise comes in, all of a sudden there's stuff that looks like flame above the disciples' heads. And what happens is they then begin to speak in languages that they've never learned. They're, they're, they're speaking all kinds of different languages. They go from that room and they go to the temple where there are tens of thousands of people, and they begin to talk about Jesus. Um, they speak in, in the languages, and the people who spoke those languages hear from God in their own heart language. Not Greek. They could have understood in Greek. They could have understood in Hebrew. But, but they heard in their heart language from God. This message that Peter preaches that's recorded there that is essentially, they said, you know what, the prophets have talked about the Holy Spirit coming the prophets talked about a Messiah coming, and that has happened today. Uh, if you jump down to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 32, Peter says, God raised Jesus, the promised Messiah, to life. We're all witnesses of it. Everybody who was there had been in Jerusalem when Jesus had been crucified and come back to life. They had, if they hadn't seen him, they had heard the stories that, about this guy who was dead and the tomb was empty. They... Um, we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
Peter and, and, and the disciples who were speaking in other languages say, you know what, Jesus was the Messiah that, that the prophets had promised about. Jesus was the Messiah that would come to atone for sin for us. Jesus was the one that we've been waiting for, and you killed him. Verse 37, the people heard this. They were cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, even those people in Michigan in February 2018. The promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had given to the disciples has been given to us. Acts 2 tells us that the promise is for us, for those who are far off. That's us. So long as we what? Believe on Jesus. So long as we repent from our sins. As long as, as we're baptized, we live out that faith in, that, uh, in a, in a um, demonstrable way, demonstrative way. Peter says, you know what? Here's what you do. If you understand, if you're convicted that you've killed the Messiah, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins and God's spirit will come and live in you if that promise is true for us, we need to kind of have some sense of who the Holy Spirit is. There's, there's probably, I, I've been thinking this week, there's probably a whole other series of messages that we could, that we could um, preach about the Holy Spirit and how he works and what he does and all that kind of stuff. I just want to give you an overview today because we're, what we're talking about is that the Holy Spirit matters. The Holy Spirit is promised to us that he wants to live in us and work in us. So we're just going to take an overview and not get into lots of stuff that people have lots of different conclusions about, okay? Let me just give you six things real quick. Um, how does the Bible describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit? The first is this. He lives in us. The Holy Spirit wants to live in us, inside us. He wants to have complete access to our lives. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? The Holy Spirit dwells in your midst. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. So uh, what's the, the Bible tell us about our relationship with the Holy Spirit? He lives in us. Um, Jesus said he empowers us in Acts chapter 1. He said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts 1 uh, verse 8. He empowers us. That power allows us to live for Jesus. That power allows us to uh, live in such a way that we honor God at every, at every turn, no matter what's going on in our lives. Um, the, the third thing that the Bible teaches us is that, um, that he is that advocate, comforter, helper. Depending upon what um, translation of Scripture you have, it will use one of those three words. The Greek word there is the word paraclete, and it means to come alongside there's, the picture is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us no matter where we go and walks with us. Uh, Olympics are coming up, right? Um, Winter Olympics are coming. If you think back to the 1992 Barcelona Summer Olympics, there's an, there's an image that's incredibly vivid if you were around back then. Um, the, there's, it's the story of Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond was a sprinter. He had, he had won his qualifying heats. Um, he was racing for the gold in the 400-meter sprint. And, um, and as he uh, takes off on that race, about 150 uh, meters into the race, he tears his hamstring. He didn't pull 
his hamstring. He didn't strain his hamstring. He tore his hamstring in the midst of that race. And immediately he went down in a heap on the track. He's, he's, he's um, crying in agony because of the pain that's there. And he had told his dad before the race, no matter what, I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to finish this race. Not having any sense of what was going to happen. So 150 meters in, he's down on the track. And if you remember watching that clip, he pulled himself up and began to hop on one leg to finish the race. Um, The the crowd began to cheer, 65,000 people there, watching him struggle to finish the race. He was hurting so bad. And something really interesting happened. A guy came out of the crowd, broke through security, and came down beside him. It was his father. He put his arm underneath him and helped him go the last 50 or 70 meters of the race so that he could finish. That's the picture of the Holy Spirit. His dad came alongside of him. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He comes alongside of us. No matter what we're going through, whether it's good, bad, uh, ugly, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. Holy Spirit helps us understand the things of God. I'm not going to read it, but uh, go home and, and look at 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, what, what it talks about is this concept that the Holy Spirit in us helps us understand the things of God. We can't understand who God is. We can't understand the way God works except that the Holy Spirit comes in us and helps us because the Spirit is the Spirit of God. He is our translator, if you will. You know, when, when, um, when you're in a foreign country when you're speaking to somebody with a different language and a person translates the things that you say, they don't translate word for word what you say. They don't do a, liter- they don't do a Google Translate okay, kind of thing. They communicate what, what you're trying to communicate. They communicate your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us with God. There are times that, 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 um, that we, we so desperately want to express what's going on inside us, and we just can't find the words, the Holy Spirit comes in and translates that. Uh, Romans 8, verse 26 and 27 says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit takes us into God's presence and explains us to God. He gives us those words. What an incredible, incredible companion to walk through life with. Well, the last trait I just want to say that the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit is that he gives freedom. We don't need to live Um, with this sense of oppression that we've got to do certain stuff. We've got to live in this tiny little box in order to please God. The Holy Spirit gives us freedom and life. He takes us out of a context of, of obeying rules and allows us to live for him in an incredible way. The Holy Spirit gives freedom. Uh, Just think for a second, what are the qualities that it takes to be somebody's best friend? You know, best friend helps you at every, at every turn, right? Best friend helps you see the world a little bit differently. A best friend comes alongside you when you're hurting. A best friend is there to celebrate when great stuff is going on. A best friend is there to challenge you when you need to be challenged. A best friend is there to walk with you when you're struggling. 
That's the picture of the Holy Spirit. He is our companion, our best friend that walks with us at every turn. Too many of us have been living our lives without a spiritual best friend. We've been trying to do it on our own with this rational faith and we've missed the Spirit of God. What's crazy is if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're one who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, who's committed to the mission of Jesus, God promised the Spirit to come and be our best friend, to walk with us every day. If, if he's not in our lives, it's not because of the Holy Spirit. It's because of us. It's because we've not allowed him to be. There's uh, one last scripture I, w- I just want to share this morning. It comes from Acts 4. The, what, what leads up to that scripture in Acts 4 is the story of this. Peter and John go to the temple to pray. And there's a lame man that there, that's there at the gate. And um, he's been lame all his life. Peter and John um, actually heal him. And in an instant, this guy who has been lame his entire life gets up and starts to walk. The religious leaders go crazy. Because they say, hey, where'd you get the power to do that? And they said it came from Jesus. They didn't want to hear that, so they throw Peter and John into jail. Peter and John are in jail. They're there overnight. The next time they come, the next day they get out and they, they go to talk to the religious leaders. And, um, and the religious leaders say, you can't, you can't talk about Jesus. And they said, we can't stop talking about Jesus. You know, Jesus is alive. We, uh, that he's the only way that, we can be sa- that people can be saved. The religious leaders were caught in a quandary because um, they didn't want him to talk about Jesus because they didn't want Jesus to get the honor and the glory. But there was this guy that everyone saw every day that had been lame that is now walking around. Tra- they don't know what to do. Finally, they release Peter and John and they say, just don't talk about Jesus. Peter and John say, we can't help but talk about Jesus. That leads into Acts 4, 31. Peter and John get released. They go to the church. The church now numbers 5,000 people. 5,000 people. And Peter and John share what happened with this lame man and with them in prison. Um, they come together and Acts 4.31 says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. When I was reading that, I thought, now wait a second. These were the same guys that Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit would come and live inside, right? The answer to that, that's yes. These were the same guys that the Spirit had been promised to, that, that had spoken in tongues, that had the Spirit in them, but they were filled with the Spirit in Acts 4. How that, how that happened? Have you ever had a bucket that leaked? You know, that you put the water in and it didn't have holes in it. it, it the water's not just pouring out but it just leaked around the seams or whatever. You look down several hours later and that bucket that was full, isn't full anymore. We, we leak. And so we need to be filled with the Spirit on a regular basis. We're going to finish today with a song and, and I just I want to invite you to do some business with God. I, I, If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to pray while we sing, God, would you fill me in a fresh way with your spirit? Maybe maybe he's not been a part of your life. Maybe you've been trying to do it on your own and you're saying for the first time, God, I want to give the keys of my heart to the Holy Spirit. I want him to come in and do his work. 
Um, maybe you've never done any of that. And the whole idea of believing in Jesus and repenting and being baptized, that's all new stuff. Talk to him about that while we sing. I, w- I want to give a very specific in- invitation. And this week as I was thinking about how to close this, I-, I think this is important. Sometimes we physically need to be involved in the conversation that we have with God. And I just want to invite you while we sing to come down front to pray those prayers. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no reason why everybody shouldn't come and say, fill me in a fresh way with your presence, with your spirit. And so I, I just want to invite you to do that. Maybe, maybe it's to come down and, and tell God for the first time that you want to be filled with his presence. Um, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, feel free to come at any point in time or not. Um, but ask God to allow his spirit in, to live and work in you because we can't live without his power. We can't do it. Let's stand and sing.